welcome to this week's episode of the Symantec Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Bridget O'Gorman, and this week I'm joined by Candid West to bring you a special edition of the podcast looking at blasts from the past, old cyber threats that are still around today. This week, November 21, 2018 to be exact, marks the 10-year anniversary of the appearance of the infamous Configure Worm. That's a long time in cyberspace, but perhaps surprisingly, this threat is still around today. So we took this opportunity to make to make it the topic for this special episode of the podcast, dedicated to looking at old malware and threats that are still around today. So Candid, you were working at Symantec in 2008 when the Configure Worm was first discovered. Can you tell us a bit more about this threat? Yeah, sure. So Configure, or as we call it, Down It Up, is one of those classical worms that first appeared at the end of November, as you said, in 2008. And of course, the category worm already kind of hints that it's a standalone program that can replicate over the network and compromise other computers without the need for any user interaction. And Configure targeted all kind of Windows computers at home, but also in corporations around the globe. And many large organizations and even military systems were actually affected by the worm. And I guess not just in Stuxnet or WannaCry do we know that this can have a real-life impact as well, right? I mean, for example, the French fighter planes were not able to take off due to the worm affecting their local network. A few hospitals could no longer use their medical devices, such as MRI scanners. And a British city council had to close down as they could no longer work as well. For Configure, there are about five variants in total uh, around with slightly different capabilities. The last variant, the version Echo, appeared on April the 7th in 2009. So that's about four and a half months after the first version appeared. And most Configure variants use an RPC remote code execution vulnerability. That's one of those famous ones, the MS08067, in order to spread to other computers. And this was very successful, even though Microsoft had actually released an out-of-band patch a month before. But of course, many systems at the time were not updated for a long time, and that definitely helped the threat to spread further. And Configure wasn't actually the first threat to use or exploit this vulnerability, but of course, it was by far the most successful one. And once the exploit successfully worked, the threat would then spin up a local HTTP web server and then send the URL as a payload to the new victim so that this one could then download and run a copy of the configure thread itself. So it would spread from one computer to another. But in order to successful to be successful, the thread actually needed to know the language of the remote system. And for this, the worm used an IP to country geolookup table and then guessed the language based on the country. The first variants used an online hosted version of such an IP lookup table, which of course soon got removed. So the next versions did then include its own copy. And if the lookup failed, it either used Chinese or Brazilian Portuguese as the default tryout session as well. Okay, so that would explain then why the main areas with the most infections were in China and in South America before it then started to kind of appear all over the world. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but this was not the only method of spread- spreading, actually. The later versions of Configure also brute force passwords for network shares with the help of a predefined word list of pass- possible passwords. So the one would try to log in as the current user, but also as administrator, 
and then try other combinations of about 250 common passwords. So it's just a good old friend of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And the Configure Worm can also copy a malicious DLL to removable medias like USB flash drives, and then create an autorun.in file to start the malware automatically when the stick is plugged into a new Windows system. And of course, this method was very popular at the time, so about 10 years ago. Fortunately, it does no longer work on newer versions of Windows, so it's no longer popular at the moment. But Configure also made heavy use of a so-called domain name generation algorithm, or short DGA. And this means that each day it would randomly generate 250 domains, following a specific schema and take the current date as a start seed, so that, of course, every worm would generate the same list. And then the worm would just attempt to contact those domains one by one and check for any updates available if the domain was actually registered. And, of course, security companies have quickly started to pre-register those domains in an attempt to separate the bots from the command and control server. And at the time of the incident, uh, we at Symantec, of course, registered a few of those domains as well from the DGA and monitored over 3 million connections in just one week alone. So a lot of infected machines, of course. And most of those connections came from a Windows XP machine. But the authors behind the threat, of course, noticed this as well, and they soon changed to generate about 50,000 domains per day and just randomly check 500 out of that pool. So this made it nearly impossible to pre-register all possible domain names because that means you would need to register about 50,000 for each day, right? On the other hand, it also slowed down the update process of the thread itself, as of course most domain lookups went nowhere or maybe hit legitimate sites instead. And to even up up the uh, ants a little bit more, the latest version then added a peer-to-peer protocol over UDP, so in an attempt to get rid of any weak central control points that could be taken over by researchers. But for all those variants, the update mechanism was mainly used to upgrade to newer versions of the thread itself. So all of the thread updates were, of course, encrypted and signed with a digital key. So this would prevent any other cyber criminals or maybe law enforcement from taking over the botnet and distributing their own payloads. And to protect itself from removal, Configure also used a few self-protection methods, um, the, the ones that you would probably expect. Like, for example, it checks all running processes for any signs of security software and then tries to terminate those processes. The worm also disables Windows uh, updates and a few other system tools. It even kind of locally blocks the DNS lookups for certain security vendor domains, uh, which, of course, was a kind of silly and simple attempt to block any or any computer from downloading antivirus updates or removal tools from those security companies. But it was also a simple check for users to verify if their computer is infected or not. So you could simply open up the web browser and see if, for example, the semantic website would still load. And if it remained blank, then you were properly infected with the configure worm. Okay, so it seems like quite a sophisticated piece of malware, you know, especially for that time. But I suppose, what was the final goal of the attacker with Configure? Do we have any details on that? Yeah, that's quite interesting. At the beginning, the threat was simply there for spreading and updating itself. But it didn't do any direct damage. I mean, probably apart from the collateral damage, as you see, like locking out users due to the password brute forcing. But there was no clear end goal visible. 
Um, on December the 1st, so a few months after, um, in 2008, the threat tried to download some payload from a domain called trafficconverter.biz, but the site was already offline, so we don't really know what the payload would have been, but this site had served an affiliate program for misleading applications and, you know, those fake AVs in the past, so this could be an indication of the final payload. And then about five months later, in, on April 1st, 2009, uh, which was actually a special day because this day was hard-coded in the threat. So anyone could actually see that something will happen. And it meant that it would start the next update cycle. And of course, there were lots of speculations how that could be used to maybe download something to bring even down the internet or anything else. So there were huge uh, hypotheses going around. But April Fool's Day came and nothing really special happened. A week later then, yes, a new variant emerged and got downloaded through the update mechanism. So they used it for update uh, in the end. But it was not just an update because in addition to this, some variants actually downloaded the Validac spam bot and also SpyProtect, which is exactly one of those classical fake AV scare wars. So fortunately at this time, most machines were already being cleaned up, so the damage was not that big. But it seems like one of the motivation was to generate some profits after all, like, of course, with most cyber criminal attacks that we see today. But it remains unknown. I mean, maybe the authors did not like the big media attention that they got, and they were scared away from using it for whatever else they initially planned, maybe a DDoS or something. And the echo variant even had the date trigger in it to delete itself on May the 3rd, 2009. So they tried to clean up a little bit as well. Unfortunately, some of the older versions did not have those trigger dates, and hence there's probably one of the reasons why we still see them today, right? Um, but of course, you have to keep in mind as well that this whole incident happened prior to Stuxnet, prior to all those widespread ransomware threats that we see today, and even prior to all those millions of unsecured IoT devices getting compromised every month. So the cybercrime market was definitely, definitely um, a bit different at the time and not yet as developed as today. Yeah, it was definitely a different time, all right. And did the police ever find out who was behind the config worm? Has anyone ever been blamed for it? Um, no, to my knowledge, it still remains a mystery who's behind the Configure Worm. Microsoft actually announced a $250,000 US dollar reward for any information that results in the arrest and conviction of those responsible for the Configure Worm, but that bounty remains unclaimed as of today. So if you feel lucky and anyone has got a new idea, there's still time to claim it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but I guess... The issue has been quite big at the time. Um, I mean, even that big that various security companies, uh, including Semantic, of course, together with ICANN, CERTs, law enforcement, and other institutions around the globe, formed the Configure Working Group in order to cooperate and, of course, eradicate this threat once and for all. So the working groups had some speculations as well, and they saw that the origin of the worm might be Ukraine as the first version actually did not infect any computers with an Ukraine language setting. And the final payload was downloaded from a hoster in the Ukraine as well. But of course, that's all speculation, so we don't really know for sure. Okay, that's interesting. 
So it's been around for 10 years. So, I mean, is configure still a big issue today? And do we still see many configure detections out in the wild? Yes, surprisingly, we actually still see configure variants getting blocked on production systems every day. So overall, in total, configure infections uh, were around 15 millions at the peak time, uh, globally, of course. And it was one of the most notorious worms so far that we have seen. I mean, for comparisons, the WannaCry from last year infected around 350,000 computers. So a lot less than the 15 millions. But fortunately, the annual detection number for Configure have been gradually declining as well over the last few years. So in 2015, we still saw around 2 million machines uh, where the shot was uh, detected. In 2016, this dropped down to about 1.3 million, which would be a reduction of about 36%. And last year, 2017, we were down to 840,000, so another 33% down. And this year so far, till November, we've seen around 300,000 detections, which means we're probably going to end up at 350,000 detections by the end of the year. So roughly the same as WannaCry had at its peak. Uh, but that's 10 years after the initial breakout. But with that rate going, we might even approach zero by 2020. Let's hope. But just seeing a detection, of course, does not necessarily mean that the threat is still doing damage, right? A lot of those detections are actually only infection attempts. Um, for example, when the worm tries to compromise a new machine by copying itself to the file share, this might be the case uh, with a single machines single machine being infected that is constantly trying to infect other computers in its neighborhood. And therefore, of course, it would generate a lot of noise over and over again. So also there might not be um, any active command and control server at the moment that could send down any new payloads. So of course, that's limiting the possible damage as well. And last but not least, any decent security software should, of course, block configure from infecting or spreading further. So most machines should actually be protected. But many of the computers that are still infected out there and scanning the network are probably just old systems that have been running untouched for the last few years. I mean, like medical devices or some industrial systems in a production site that can't be upgraded uh, because some of them... Um, might not notice it, the threat might not do any damage, like it's not encrypting any files like ransomware, and the computer, the compromised computers might still work normally, even though they might generate a heavy network load during the spreading activity, but they might not uh, been kind of exposed too much, um, so they might have been there sitting for a few years. But don't be mistaken, I mean, there are new computers also getting infected, uh, I personally recently heard from some medical devices that got compromised in Europe as well, so it is still spreading. But the huge detection numbers um, are, of course, a large contrast to what we see with the, the classical malware, malware usually um, encountered today, as newer malware variants are only active for a limited amount of time, usually just a few months. Yeah, so I guess that leads to my next question. I mean, in the cybersecurity landscape in general, now, 10 years after Configure first appeared, I suppose, where do we stand now? Like, what has kind of changed? Yeah, I, th I think malware threats have, of course, um, kind of obviously evolved over the last 10 years, right? I mean, 
The concepts are not new. Concept of a worm um, has been around for about 30 years because exactly 30 years ago, the Morris worm was one of the first widespread computer worms making its rounds. Um, and the worms have actually made a comeback recently as well. Uh, just by now, we see lots of emotet, uh, which is spreading local in local networks as well by brute forcing credentials or dumping local passwords for lateral movement. So that is still common. Uh, and of course, also WannaCry that we already mentioned or NotPetya, those crypto worms that spread fast last year are also a good example of recent worms um, which are still active. So we might see more of those self-spreading threats in the near future, as it's obviously still well, something that works, right? But maybe we will even see some mass-spreading phyless worm appear as well, um, as we had about 17 years ago with uh, Code Red. And fileless attacks means there's no file written to disk. Um, that means it's also harder to detect a block. And that's, of course, very popular at the moment with the whole living off the land tactics. But in general, I'd say most of the current threats do not spread on its own. Uh, they rather have a spreader or a downloader being sent out through email uh, that does the work for them and then just drops the final payload. So I, I think, I mean, if we look at the numbers, of course, malicious emails are still by far the most common infection vectors at the moment because they simply work uh, in a lot of cases. And another everyday occurrence that could, of course, revive the worms or the vast amount of unsecured IoT devices out there. We already touched a little bit on that one in previous uh, podcasts. Having devices like CCTV cameras or routers directly connected to the internet, but rarely patched, makes them an ideal target for self-spreading malware. Yeah, that's true. And I'm sure that IoT will definitely keep us in the cybersecurity business busy in 2019. But um, when it comes to old threats, is Configure the only one that is still around today? Uh, no, Configure is by no means the, the only old malware that is still around. Um, I checked our telemetry data, and we can still see five threats that have been around for at least 10 years making their ways through the, the internet at the moment. And I, I don't mean that they're only kind of popping up once or twice, right? Those five are actually all made it to the top 100 most active threat list of 2018. So those are probably someone, uh, some threats that you already have heard of. Um, so in the overall top list, there are many old threats. Um, we even see some DOS viruses uh, occasionally getting detected here and there, uh, kind of a handful per year. But those are most likely just someone doing a test scan in a lab and most likely not real new infection cases as we configure. Well, uh, let's discuss those uh, more active threats from the top 100 list again. So besides configure, um, we had, for example, the W32 Silly FDC, which isn't quite an interesting case. It's a family of worms from 2007, uh, so even older than configure, that spread by copying themselves to removable drives and misusing the autorun.inf start method, similar to configure as well. And CDFTT also copies itself to any map drives that it can find from the current user and may download then further payload or uh, perform any other malicious activity. So just by spreading to all those removable drives and uh, file servers in reach, W32 Silly FTC actually made it to be ranked number 40th in our uh, top list for 2018. And therefore, it's the most common threat 
which is older than 10 years that we see at the moment, even more common than Configure itself. Uh, and again, as reference, the WannaCry, which most people probably still uh, remember, the malware um, or ransomware case, which also made it to the top 100 list for 2018, but only ranked 51st. So um, CLFTC actually outranked uh, WannaCry here as well. And as previously discussed, it does, of course, not mean that all of those machines were successfully infected, uh, but probably rather some computer in the proximity is compromised and is constantly scanning the network for new victims to infect. And once they find a computer, um, it tries to compromise it, right? So at this stage, uh, it probably will try and copy itself to that file share and the new target computer can identify that a blocked infection attempt um, well, at least if it's running any updated security software uh, like Semantic. But still, the large number shows that there is definitely some substantial activity out there at the moment. Um, yeah, so let's look at the other um, three that we should mention, and probably two we can group together, which is the W32 Saliti, uh, specifically the version AE from 2008, and the W32 Virut, CF from 2009, um, because those two are some classical file infector viruses. So the very old ones, once the thread is executed, it will search the computer for any connected uh, shared drive. And if it finds any executable files, so exe or screensavers, it will infect them, um, at least if they match some certain criteria. So. In addition to the normal binary PE files to get infected, Virut actually has the capability to infect HTML, ASP, and also PHP files as well. And what it does there is it basically injects an iframe to a remote site, which could then load some malicious payload. And such file infectors are known to stick around for a long time, as, of course, there is always somewhere an old archive, a backup, a USB stick that hasn't been cleaned, and therefore, once you plug it in and you copy those files because you need that old application, and the infection can actually restart, and the whole process um, will start again, and thousands of files will get infected again and again. But, of course, rest assured, for our statistics, we only counted each host once. So regardless of any of the thousand infected files per machine, any detection is only counted once uh, per machine and not per um, file itself. Uh, Virut actually has been used to uh, distribute kind of all sorts of payloads, uh, also including the Validax spam bot like Configure. But at the beginning of 2013, the Polish authorities have conducted a takedown attempt and seized various domains used by Virut. Uh, so specifically for those iframes, um, they have been taken down and therefore rendering this option of infected iframes, at least for the Virut option, uh, kind of useless, which is, of course, limiting any further damage, uh, which is good. And the last of those inglorious five uh, to mention is also the oldest one of them. It's called Backdoor Greybird, and it appeared first in 2003. Uh, sometimes it's also called Grey Pigeon or Trojan uh, Hubigon. Um, it's a classical remote administration Trojan or RAT, which allows any attacker to connect to the compromised computer and then upload or download files, steal passwords, create screenshots, and any other thing you would accept, um, accept from a backdoor. And 
it was a very common Chinese Trojan at the time and has also been available on various uh, underground forums. And therefore, it probably was a popular choice at the time to stick around. Okay, so those are kind of the top five old threats that we're still seeing. But are there any other kind of older threats that are worth mentioning and keeping in mind today? Yeah, as I mentioned, um, we even saw saw DOS viruses uh, still infecting um, at least some lab machines. But if you look at the top uh, top 200 detections, sorry, for 2018, then there are a few more interesting ones that we could mention. Uh, Like, for example, the financial Trojans like Zeus and Remnant, which both first appeared in 2010 and are still making their rounds. Yes, of course, they're not 10 years old like Configure, but still, I mean, eight years and counting is not too bad for a, a malware out there. And of course, the samples that we see today are not the original uh, samples from eight years ago, but rather some further developed variants uh, with some different modules. But they're all still based on the same code bases and they use similar methods. So they're kind of related. And this is especially true for SUS, where the source code of itself actually got leaked in 2011 and since then have been incorporated in many, many different uh, variants and offsprings. Even Remnant itself borrowed some module code from Zeus after that leak. So it's a clear indication as well that Zeus definitely influenced a generation of financial threats, which we still fight today. Another class that probably is worth mentioning are the threats of the password stealers. So imagine 10 years ago, such threats were very common to steal registration keys and passwords for popular online games like World of Warcraft or uh, League of Legends. And representing this category in our top one, uh, top 200 list is the InfoStealer Game Pass from 2006, but also InfoStealer Limitail from 2012 is still active uh, and seen in the wild today. Um, let's see, what else? Well, the one that surprised me the most uh, was actually a threat called Rontok Bro, a family of mass mailing worms from 2005. So quite an old one. Uh, Rontok Bro is your classical mass mailer. So it searches the local computer for email addresses and then sends itself out to anyone that it finds in there as a new attachment. Uh, This method of spreading probably still works today. But most mail servers, of course, have increased their security, so it won't be that easy for them to uh, spread and misuse it to send out the spam messages. Um, And again, of course, any decent security tool will filter out those emails directly before they even uh, reach the user's mailbox. So that might be another reason why you probably haven't seen it in your email uh, lately. And Let's see, another one, um, yeah, uh, another one that I remember quite well from my first year at Symantec is the W32 SpyBot from 2003. So originally uh, created as a classical IRC bot, uh, it later became one of the most common threat families at the time. New variants kept appearing nearly every week, right? So there was lots of work to be done to get generic signatures and uh, keeping them at bay. Some added DDoS capabilities, other variants had remote access features, and so on. So every new variant added their own modules um, for payloads. Nowadays, connecting from IRC servers and then joining a hidden channel in order to receive commands uh, from the malware author is no longer so popular. Um, occasionally, we still see them, but it's it moved on to other command and control servers uh, 
nowadays because of course IRCs can usually easily be blocked by law enforcement and that will kind of ruin the whole purpose of the malware. Um, so it's definitely not the reason why we we why spybot um, are still in the wild but similar to other worms spybot variants are also brute forcing the passwords for local users and then misuse those uh, stolen credentials in order to copy themselves to file shares. So probably it's rather this than the IRC servers that makes it still go around in the internet today. Right, okay. And so I suppose the next question will be, like, why are these old threats still around? I mean, what makes them so special compared to, you know, the many other threats that we've seen over the years that haven't survived and aren't around any longer? Yeah, um, I mean... You're right, we've just discussed a few threats which are still around, so the question is why? And we can find two types of old threat which are still very successful in propagating. On one hand, it's those self-spreading worms and file-infecting viruses. And I think due to the nature of their spreading mechanism, they are usually more distributed than a Trojan which is mailed out and needs some user interaction for spreading. So as long as there remains just one infected computer, it will try and reinfect other machines again and again. So this and, well, of course, uh, the whole kind of infection through uh, removable drives, as we're still happening, that USB sticks like or USB uh, devices, even like digital picture frames, or now probably e-cigarettes, getting infected with one of those worms at the factory and then shipped out to the customers unknowingly. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I assume the infection is not deliberately, but probably rather due to bad computer hygiene at the factory. The other category um, are the kind of common Trojans like SUS that we mentioned where the source code is freely available and therefore got integrated into many, many different malware projects. The, they kind of act as a Swiss army knife and some modules get reused, uh, whereas others of, of course get replaced and upgraded with other modules. But the code similarity might lead to the result that actually detection engine still classifies it as part of the SUS family, which is, of course, true. And, of course, therefore, we also see the detection count for those families still rising high. Another reason for the blast from the past um, is probably the old, unpatched, forgotten computers out there, right? You could argue that if all computers would be updated to the newest version of Windows or whatever operating system and protected with the up-to-date security software, that none of those old threats would be able to spread anymore. And yes, this is true, at least in an ideal world. But any modern security uh, tool should be able to detect and remove Configure and all the others that I mentioned. But as we all know, um, very often these old compromised machines are embedded in a system uh, maybe an ICS system, and the owners might not even know that they should install any updates um, or that they actually can. It might be an industrial system which cannot be upgraded due to some warranty issues from the vendor itself, uh, and we've seen that in the past a few times as well. So a lot of those systems might also run unprotected uh, due to the same reasons, right? Um, people don't know that they have to install security software on it, and therefore the threat will never be removed from those systems. And in addition, there might still be a few computers uh, running pirated copies of Windows, uh, which of course will not receive any updates, uh, at least definitely not for Windows XP. Uh, and therefore they will also remain vulnerable. And yes, fortunately this number is shrinking as well, 
but there are still a few machines out there. So I guess if we sum it up, um, we probably just have to wait till all those systems get replaced little by little, which will hopefully remove those threats eventually. Um, some of the detections that we see might also originate from customers that do test their own security products. Um, the hypothesis probably could be backed up by the fact that in 2018, the ICAR test string was actually the 27th most common malware family that we detected with about 1,800 blocks uh, per day on a global scale. So hence, there might be a few customers using configure and other old threats to check if their current system offers enough protection, right? Probably thinking something along the lines of, if my solution does not block a 10-year-old threat, how good is it or how comfortable am I that it will block the threats for tomorrow, right? Well, let's hope that at least for those tests, they are done in an isolated network uh, because else they might itself spark some new infections on the internet and that wouldn't be too good. No, it definitely wouldn't. So let's hope they're keeping those uh, those tests on an isolated network is right. So Candid, what do you think? Are there any of the current threats that we see today that we are likely to still be seeing in 10 years time? Yeah, prediction is always difficult. Um, I mean, luckily we are getting better at managing our systems and monitoring the networks, installing patches, and so on. So the common attack surface for such threats, I think, is getting smaller. And also, law enforcement is quicker in shutting down command and control servers. Cooperation is getting better um, between the different hosting services. So leaving many threats headless and therefore without any payload and maybe even without any spreading mechanism. Um, but threats that misuse kind of stuff like weak passwords for spreading will most likely still work in the future as well. So hence, Emotet and co might still accompany us uh, for a few more years, I guess. And of course, code reuse of common families um, that we discussed, like the Zeus uh, evolution, are probably also going to stick around for some more times as they can just adapt and try to come up with new variants, which are harder to detect and therefore still making their rounds. Uh, what else? Well, probably to mention the IoT threats um, are still generating a lot of headaches at the moment, as we know. So there are various initiatives to make those environments better, uh, but that will also take some time because all those devices will get replaced. So my personal guess is we will still see variants of Mirai scanning the internet for a few more years to come. Well, let's hope that we're definitely getting better at configurating and protecting our computers and devices so that hopefully we don't have to fight 10-year-old threats anymore at the end of 2020. Yeah, indeed. Let's hope that. And um, thanks for all that brilliant insight, Candice. That's about all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed this special episode of the podcast. Uh, join us next week for our usual roundup of the week that was in cybersecurity news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Threat Intel and on medium.com as well at medium.com forward slash threat hyphen intel, where you'll also find an article taking a look back at uh, Configure, Configure's influence on the cybersecurity landscape. You can also read our other blogs at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. Until next week, goodbye.